and it's your heart to us, it's your instruction to us, it's your blessing to us. So, uh, Lord, meet us here, we pray, and allow us to once again encounter you in it. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to start a series today that um, some of you might, you know, really wonder about, because you might ask the question, what on earth does that have to do with being the people of God? Uh, And it's a series on hospitality. Hospitality. I don't know what immediately comes to your mind when you think of that, uh, that, that, that word or that, that concept, but probably have a lot of you will sit back and think, I don't get it, Chris. Why would we be talking about that in church? I want to tell you there is tons of relevance to being the people of God, followers of Jesus, in this teaching on hospitality that is biblical hospitality, and I'm going to define that for you today to the best of my ability anyway. But the problem, I think, in our culture begins with the idea that when we think of hospitality, we think of, uh, 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 of something that, that is um, uh, quite different, honestly, than what the Bible speaks to. And to me, it's essentially reflected in this picture. Anybody recognize that family? Yeah, the older crowd starts to giggle a little bit. Who, who has heard of Leave it to Beaver, the TV show? Come on, hands way up high. Anybody under 30 who's heard of Leave it to Beaver? Yeah, yeah, I'm finding this out. It's still in the, it's still in the consciousness of people in, the, in Canada. Leave it to be. See, the little fellow over there, that's Beaver, and he was just, this is a 1950s sitcom, I believe. This is older than me. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? This is ancient. And Beaver would get into all kinds of problems and difficulties and challenges. But the reason I show you this picture is it shows you the whole family. There's Ward and June, right? Is, it, is, is that Wally? I, can't, I couldn't quite remember. People will know. That's Wally across the table from Beaver. And it's like they're perfect. I mean, their, their home was always just so. There was never anything out of place. Can you picture it, some of you? There'd been lots of reruns on as well. And of course, June, I mean, look at the hair. It's perfect. It's always just so. Look at Ward with a nice, nice kind of stylish suit and the tie. And I would imagine every now and then they would have people into their homes. I don't remember seeing the episodes. It's a long time ago. And they would entertain their guests and probably sit at that table that, was look, that looked just like that. I mean... Isn't that how we set our tables every night for supper? Uh, anyone? Anybody? No. Not in my house. Occasionally on special occasions, but not like that normally. But they would bring people into their home and they would entertain. And I bet you on those occasions the house was even more perfect than, people w- w- than when people weren't there, as does still display the reality of our world, right? But here's my point. That concept of hospitality, as some might consider the word. That idea of entertaining people in our homes has absolutely, I would suggest to you, nothing to do with the concept of biblical hospitality. There's something going on when the the scripture teaches this stuff that is just different than what we think about when we think about what hospitality is. We think of it as entertaining, like Ward and June. But there's something going on here, and I want to tell you that this concept of hospitality has a ton to do with what is called now, and I I love the idea, the mission of God in this world. I don't know about you, but I believe with all my heart that God's on mission. God is powerfully and actively at work in this world. And he says, one way you can join me on mission, being in mission with me, is to exercise hospitality. I'm going to talk to you about what that is, try to explain it to you from a biblical point of view. First thing that we're going to do as we jump in here is I'm going to read to you a text from Leviticus chapter 19, which is part of what's called the moral code of Leviticus. Let me just make some 
preliminary comments before we read Leviticus, because there are people in our world who are now saying, well, you don't really bother with Leviticus because it's not relevant to our lives anymore. Because there's stuff in Leviticus that we don't follow anymore, so why would we even read from the text? Here's the deal. There are parts of Leviticus, it's, it's kind of captured in the phrase, the ceremonial law that is in Leviticus that, that taught the Jewish people how to worship God. No, we don't practice it anymore. The best example of that is the sacrificial system. God set up this system for the Jewish people and they sacrificed animals as part of their worship. Well, you know what? Jesus came along and he became the sacrifice to which all other sacrifices pointed. And because he has sacrificed himself and because our sin has been forgiven in him on the cross and we now find new life in him as a result, we don't need to sacrifice animals as part of our worship. You get it? He fulfilled the ceremonial law of Leviticus so that, yeah, we don't, we don't bother with it anymore. Same thing with the, with the, uh, the, 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 the oh, terms escaping me. You know, the, the, the instruction about cleansing. The Jewish people literally would cleanse themselves physically before they would go before God to worship him. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because we are made clean because we've been washed in the blood of Christ. We are made clean through Jesus' death and resurrection. So no, the ceremonial law has been set aside. It still teaches us a ton about God, and it teaches us a ton about how to follow him, but we don't have to practice that. But in Leviticus, there's also the moral code. And, and the moral code is the then and now, I would suggest to you, the revealed will of God for his people about how to live morally. It, it, it's, it's his heart's desire for us. It's, it's his communication to us about what's right and wrong and how to live. And, 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 and the, the really cool thing is that the moral code does not change. It is supported 100% consistently in the New Testament. So it is still a valid thing for us in, Levit in Leviticus. It's, it's the way of understanding the mind and the heart of God. And out of this teaching comes Leviticus 19, 33, and 34. It's a text that we're going to look at today. Let me read it for you. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Um, you see that last little phrase, I'm the Lord your God? Why is it there? It's like God saying, people... Listen to me on this one. I'm talking to you, and I am your God. And the, and the text comes to us, and, and it's, it speaks into this reality of what's called biblical hospitality. It it's here speaks of the foreigners who are among the people of Israel. Other translation, translations and the numerous other passages in the Old Testament that speak to this, this idea refer to foreigners, but also aliens and strangers and so forth. There's this biblical teaching that runs through the length of, of the Old Testament and as we shall see into the New Testament. And basically what's going on here is that these people being referred to, these strangers, these aliens, these foreigners, um, they're not Israelites. They're not part of the people of God. Um, and at any given time, they were with, they were among God's people. They were just there. Um, and, and the instruction that God gives is a remarkable instruction. He says, first of all, don't take advantage of them. They're, as we'll see, in a vulnerable position. They're in a minority. And you know what? The Israelites could have <laughs> abused them, hurt them, and, and benefited from them. And God says, don't do that. I'm your God. And then secondly, he says, treat them like they are native-born Israelites. That's a profound instruction to God's people. Treat them as if they were born among you. Don't make any distinctions. Treat them well. And then lastly, he says... Uh, 
um, love them as you love yourself. Now, that's where things get really radical. Love these people. They're not from your clan or tribe. They're not even Israelite people. And he's not just saying, you know, be good to me. He's saying, love them. I want to tell you, it was a wild statement. It was a dramatic thing. And God comes along and he says, I am the Lord your God. Do it. Um, I would imagine in this day that I'm referring to, long, long time ago, that a lot of Israelites wouldn't have thought this is the first thing that they would have done or wanted to do to foreigners who lived among them. Um, more likely, uh, they would be suspicious of such people. They would want to reject them as a threat. But God then provides the rationale. He gives the reason, and he says, For you, where it is, you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. You were once in their place. You were once like them. And what's he referring to? Many of you will know the story of, 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 of uh, Joseph in, the, in, in Genesis, and if you want to read it, and if you're not familiar with it, go home and read the last 12, 15 chapters of Genesis. I'm not quite sure, but at the end of the book of Genesis... And the situation is this. I'll just try to be brief and sum it up. But there was starvation in the land, Egypt and where Israel is now, Palestine. And Jacob, the uh, patriarch of, of God's people, and his 11 sons went to Egypt uh, because there was no food in Israel, in, in, the, in the land. It wasn't Israel yet. And, 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 and they had to do something. Years previous to their tracking to Egypt, uh, Joseph, the 12th son of Jacob, had been sold by his brothers into slavery and, and carted off into Egypt. And through a series of remarkable and deeply troubling and painful experiences, that man, Joseph, ended up as second in command to Pharaoh. It was he who predicted, through interpreting Pharaoh's dream, that there would be seven years of plenty, and as a, as, as a powerful leader, he gathered the food of Egypt and the land, and he stored it so that when the seven years of famine came, there was food to feed Millions of people and keep them alive. And it was into that scenario that Jacob and the 11, uh, the 11 sons came uh, during the time of famine and, and, and were cared for. Here's the point. When Jacob and his sons arrived, they were welcomed in. And they were, th their needs were met. They were treated well. They were people who were in great need and they were provided for. My friends, that's biblical hospitality. Context in much of the Old Testament teaching and here in Leviticus as well regarding hospitality is this. In Palestine, people would travel, of course. They had need to come and go. People would come among the Israeli uh, nation, and they would be there as foreigners, aliens, aliens and strangers. Um, and they would be in a difficult and, can I say it, even dangerous situation. Um, normally in that time uh, for all involved, uh, a family and a clan would provide for people who were in need. But when you were beyond the family or clan and you had need for housing or for protection or, or for food or, or whatever the need might be, your family would provide it to you. Now think about the foreigner, the alien, or the stranger in the midst of the, the people of Israel. They had no family. They had no clan. They had left the family or the clan for whatever reason. And these people were in significant need and, as I say, even in danger. For example, uh, someone, someone who was there uh, traveling there were a few holiday inns on the, on the corner. And the few hotels, inns, they're referred to in the Jesus birth uh, narrative, uh, they would be very expensive. So very few people could stay in a hotel. Uh, they had need for shelter. 
they desperately needed shelter. Why? Because there was also a danger from the climate. In the, in the daytime, the sun was blisteringly hot and potentially lethal. But at nighttime, the, the, the temperatures were as cold as they were hot during the day. You know how it works in desert lands. And these people would need somewhere in order just to survive. If they didn't have a place to stay, there were thieves and robbers aplenty in the day. And they would need protection. They would need someone to take them in. A food source would not be readily available to me. I mean, how much food can you carry on your journey? Not that much, particularly again in that climate. And these people were in desperate need of help. And it's at this point, the word of God through Leviticus speaks. My friends, at this point, God speaks to his people as he's forming the nation. And he says, treat these people as if they are your own. Not only treat them well, love them as you love yourself. Care for them, provide for them, um, be there for them. Now, the Greek word for hospitality in the New Testament is this. And, you know, the theologically brilliant among you will immediately say, wait a minute, Chris, it wasn't the Old Testament written in Hebrew? It's true. But there, a long, long time ago, we have ancient texts of Greek translations of the Hebrew Scriptures. And, you know, as we try to dig into antiquity to really understand what the Hebrew scriptures say, then what you do is also look at the way Greek writers interpreted the Hebrew passages in order to get a real sense of what the early, early, early Old Testament texts were all about. So reading the, Hebrew, the Greek text of the Old Testament is a really important thing. And yes, as a result, we have two Greek words which essentially make up the word hospitality in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The two Greek words are this. Number one is philios. And that is uh, the word for brotherly love. You know, the city of Philadelphia, Philios, the city of brotherly love. Uh, so it's that sense of affection, family connection, loving one another in that sort of way. And the second word is zeos, X-E-O-S. And, and, and it's the word from which we get the, the, the term in English, xenophobia. And of course, that means fear of the immigrant, fear of the stranger, fear of the alien, Right? So that the two words together is love the stranger. Love them. Treat them as if they're own. Treat them as if they were born among you as part of your own people. Care for their needs as you would care for your own. Powerful teaching of God to the Israelite people to essentially say, welcome such people in. Take care of them. Love them. Provide for them because they're in desperate need among you. They're on their own. This uh, teaching became so much a part of the people of Israel that it essentially became an, a significant virtue among them, a, a high value, if you would, among them. And we see it in the Old Testament, even before the nation of Israel was formed. You know, Abraham was visited. Do you remember the visitors came to, to Abraham and Sarah as they were in the desert to tell them that they would have Isaac, a miracle child? What did Abraham do when they arrived? Well, come and let me host you. Come, let me care for your needs. Let me provide a meal for you and so forth. He's being Hospitable, hospitable in the biblical sense. You know, Lot, uh, you know, the angels came to visit Lot in the Sodom and, Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah story. And what did Lot say? He said, you know, come into my home. And they sat down and, and, and he cared for them in their need. People wanted to come and really harm these people. And Lot refused to hand them over because it was his responsibility as a Jewish people before God to protect them. So it's, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. Then we move into the New Testament, and again, the moral law of God does not change. It's an expression of his mind and of his heart. Jesus is speaking of the, of the, the, the day of final judgment, and he's, he's talking about the sheep and the goats, the goats being those who will not inherit the kingdom of God in heaven and, and those who will. And he said to those 
who, who hadn't found faith in Christ and whose lives had been transformed by the heart and the mind and the will of God, he said things like, you know, you fed me and, uh, you know, when I was hungry and you gave me a drink when I was thirsty and you visited me in prison. And then he said, for I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You know what the word stranger? Like, where does that come from? It comes from the Old Testament. Maybe Leviticus chapter 19. That was his Bible, right? This is, the, this is the word of God that Jesus would have grown up on and studied and come to understand fully the mind and the heart of God Almighty. I'm going to read this passage for you. Matthew 25. I'm going to start at 34 and go to 36. Then the king will say to those who are on his right. Now, the judgment day is being described by Jesus and the king of kings is essentially praising those who are going to uh, inherit heaven if you would come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world there's a cool thought for those of us here today who are going to be part of that crowd right that's what we look forward to next verse please for i was hungry and you fed me think of this in the context of biblical hospitality that's where we're going with this i was hungry and you fed me i was thirsty thirsty and you gave me a drink i was a stranger and you invited me into your home I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Do you get it? Are you understanding? This powerful teaching of God, this, this affirmation of God, Old Testament, New Testament, about how we're to be people who love people who are in desperate need, love people who are struggling, love people who need care. Another example from the New Testament, characteristic of an elder. We just had an election of elders in the fall. We're going to have one every two years ongoing now. And there, there are several places, 1 Timothy and Titus and otherwise, where the characteristics of people who are eligible for eldership are, are listed. Among them is the characteristic of hospitable. What does that mean? That means like they're, they're like the cleavers and every now and then they entertain in their homes? No. What that means is that there will be people among you who can be ordained as elders, who have the heart of God and the mind of God, and they are deeply concerned for the people who are among them, who may not be like them, but, but, but who, who have great need and who are giving their lives to provide for that need. That is biblical hospitality. One more, Mar Mary and Martha story. Remember that great story where Martha invite Jesus into her home? Why did she do that? Jesus liked kosher food. You know, like, why did she invite? Jesus was one who had no home. He said it himself, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he didn't make a living. He was a rabbi. He didn't get out there and pound the pavement and, and make money and earn a, a living for himself. People provided for him. And he came along into the area in which Martha was living. And Martha, as a good Jewish person, a person of conviction, a person who hold, held high the value of biblical hospitality, opened her home to Jesus as was expected of people of faith and invited him in that one who had need and she was preparing a meal for him when she started to get a little snarky about mary remember you know mary was sitting listening to jesus and she was Mar martha was annoyed because she wasn't helping out Mar mary was not helping to fulfill the biblical mandate of hospitality the woman had a point but you see, even there, this, this dynamic that, that weaves its way through the biblical accounts is, is, is being lived out before us. Now, I want to tell you, this biblical value of hospitality is not something that is either known or practiced much in, well, can I say Ontario? 
Last week I was uh, talking to an IPC family about this series and uh, just sharing a little bit about it. And, and they said, you know, a, a little while ago we were in Nova Scotia on a family vacation. And we stopped to get gas and the dad was pumping gas and the mom went, I assume with little kids at the time, I'm not sure, but to kind of a grassy area so they could stretch their legs and exercise and have a little bit of fun, maybe burn off some energy. And while, while the, the mom and the kids were there, they um, started talking to an older couple from Nova Scotia. And as soon as uh, that couple found out that this family was from away, you know that term? It's fantastic in the East Coast. I don't know if it's the whole East Coast or just part of it, but not from there. As soon as she found out that they were aliens and strangers in a foreign land, <laughs> this woman said, why don't you come to our house and stay with us tonight? To which the IPC family kind of internally freaked out. Like, what's going on? Nobody does that. What are these, you know, mass murderers or something? I'm not going there. Because we don't do that in Ontario, right? I've never done that. Have you done that? Not likely. Well, they graciously declined, jumped in their car, and took off at high speed, right? <laughs> That's my sense. But listen to me, my friends. Could it be that we don't do what I'm describing today because for us, our homes have become a refuge from the world for ourselves? Uh, that, 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 that they're a place of safety from the dangers of our world, which we encounter emotionally, if nothing else? That we are too often caught up with our own issues and our own problems and our own struggles and our own needs, so much so that we don't focus much on the stranger, the alien, or the foreigner among us? <laughs> Sometimes even not recognizing the need that they have, often not giving ourselves in any significant way in love to care for them. You see, so often we're focused on our own need that we're not focused on the needs of others, even when those needs are exponentially greater than the needs with which we are living personally. What I'm saying is because of our own struggles, heartaches, difficulties, and challenges, we don't care too often. And it's not a priority to us. So what's the relevance here? You know, if you're an IPCer, is that a term? Um, we care a lot about biblical relevance. And I'm not going to stand here and just kind of teach the Bible if it doesn't impact your life and mine. Because it's intended to impact our lives. Well, I can sum up the relevance of this biblical teaching in two words. Refugee family. Um... There are lots of people who say, don't bother. There are lots of people who say, you should not do that. There are lots of people who say, we've got our own problems and our own people with a lot of difficulties, let's focus on them. And there are a lot of people who say, this could be dangerous. Let me comment on that dangerous one, first of all. Number one, we have got to trust our government to do everything in their power to get that right. I get it. I understand it, what you're saying. But we've got to trust the government to do what they're called to do. Number two, can I say this? And this might rock a few boats. Or as Stancock says, tip a few canoes. Whoever said that following Jesus was always intended to be safe? Doing God's will was not safe for Jesus Christ. Doing God's will was not safe for the Apostle Paul. Doing God's will was not safe for Peter. And I could go on and on and on through 2,000 years of history and show you people who were willing to suffer and, ex and, and, and experience the effects of danger in their lives, even to the point of death. 
Who says that following Jesus is supposed to be safe? Not the Bible. My friends, I want to tell you, God calls us to love the foreigner and the alien and the stranger as we love ourselves. By the way, can you hear the words of Jesus in that statement? Love these people as you love yourself. Jesus was once telling a, a story trying to communicate um, who our neighbor is. He said, love God and love your neighbor. And some wise guy said to him, but who's our neighbor? <laughs> Not everybody. I mean, how far do you extend that, Jesus? And he told the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, the Jewish person on his way beaten up by those robbers and thieves that were plentiful in the day, and the priest and the Levite walked by and left the person in desperate need alone. And then the Samaritan came along, and the Samaritan acted out of biblical hospitality <laughs> because he cared for the person who was dying, and he picked him up, and he took him to a place of shelter, and he provided for his needs. You see that how powerfully present this teaching is in the Bible? It's there all the time. And Jesus' essential teaching is, who is your neighbor? The, the person whom you see, who you see who is in desperate need, that is your neighbor. And it doesn't matter if that person is like you or not, priest and Levite. You should have, you know, you, you know e even the priest and Levite wasn't willing to help their own. But then the Samaritan came along, and he, the ungodly one, the one who was apparently far from God, did what God would want him to do by reaching out to the Jewish person, his natural enemy, and loving him. My friends, who can argue that refugees in the Middle East right now are not in desperate need? In need of a home and of shelter and of protection and of food. Who can argue that these aren't vulnerable people who need cared for? You know what's really easy? To say this, this is... Uh, you know, these people are different from us, and these people are, should be perceived as a threat, and we should just leave them alone in their misery. You know, one thing I, I discovered from Joyce Degeer Vanderspeck, our point person on this one, uh, as far as our staffing is concerned, is she told me that 70% of refugees worldwide belong to one faith. What do you, don't you answer, because I just heard the answer, and I don't. What do you think that one faith is? I think a lot of people just think, well, they're part of Islam or the Muslim faith. 70% of Christians worldwide are Christians. Because Christians are being slaughtered in various places around the world. It's, it's terrible. You hear of the activities of ISIS. They are most often perpetrated against Christians. And people have been killed in large number. Follow followers of Jesus. They're just like you and me. And they're dying for their faith. And if they are able to escape with their lives, they leave behind their home and they become homeless. And they leave, they leave behind the protection of their clan and they become vulnerable. And they have no hope of, 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 of providing for family. They don't have the food. They're just in desperate, desperate, desperate need. One solution that I heard of recently, and I won't identify the place, it's not here. But I was in a meeting and said, well, why don't we get a Christian family? That seems natural. That seems to make sense. We're Christians. Let's help a Christian family. And we might get a Christian family. Who knows? We don't get to decide that, by the way, in terms of the system that we're part of, that the government has set up. But I want to tell you this. I, I, I want you, us to be incredibly careful of saying such a thing. 
because in doing so, we step away from the biblical focus on hospitality because it is directed toward people who are unlike us. Unlike us. That's the call of God. It's not like we're helping our own. We're helping people, biblical hospitality, who are not our own and who are in desperate need of care and love. My friends, the reason we do what we do here at IPC, the reason we are doing what we're doing is because of love. God loves these people. And they may be Muslims and they may be Christians and they may be all sorts of religious people in terms of faith. They may be different ethnic groupings. You know what? And I think you know this if you've been here for very long. God loves them too. Like he really does. And he calls his people to act on his behalf in love. You know, I think it's incredibly significant that God threw in this comment in the text about how you were once foreigners in Egypt, speaking to his people at that time, the Israelites. Um, oh, and by the way, do you know Jesus was once a foreigner, alien, stranger? <laughs> when he was a little child, they rushed him out of Israel in order to save his life, and they fled to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Place of refuge, where they were the different ones the minority ones, the vulnerable ones. But anyway, you know, when we think about this, this comment about we were once foreigners in Egypt, all of a sudden it takes on incredible significance for Christian people because there the, Jews, the Jewish people became slaves, as you know, and they were abused over time. Here's the point. Um, we once lived in, under the power of sin and we were slaves to it, every single one of us before we came to Christ. We, we once lived without hope. We were once in desperate circumstances without the grace and the presence and the love of God to save us. But my friends, our God is an hospitable God. And he looked at us and he saw us in our need. And even though we were alien to him and very different than who God is, he saw our great spiritual need and need otherwise emotionally and physically. And what did God do? He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on a cross that we would be forgiven for our sin, that we might have our desperate need addressed, that he might welcome us into his family with open arms, that we might become his. Who's the alien? The stranger? You are. And I am. And God, out of love for us, addressed our need. I don't know about you, but that's powerful to me. That's powerful. We are compelled to do what we do because God loves. We are compelled to do what we do because we were once the alien and the stranger in a foreign land and God has acted on our behalf and so must we act on behalf of other people. And I want to tell you, when we act like God, when we have the mind of God and the heart of God, when we care for people who are in desperate need no matter who they are, we become like God to this world. That's really cool. God comes alive in and through his people. God gets seen when his people love like he loved. 
And I want to tell you, when we talk about our vision as a church to connect people to Jesus and deepen, uh, deepen the faith and change the world, we're about changing the world. And we recognize that as we get out and as we love people as Jesus loved people, as we love people as God instructed the Israelites to love people back in the day, the, the strategy behind that idea is basically we go and we meet needs. Find those who are desperate and struggling and hurting and go love them. Through that experience, build relationship with people, relationships of trust, in which we can then tell them about our faith in Jesus. And if they wish, they can join us in the journey. That's the strategy, right? hope you're doing it every day. I hope you're doing it in life groups. I hope you're doing it in missional communities and otherwise. And when it comes to this opportunity, I don't think, Don, you said it in the second service as clearly as in the first, but... You essentially said, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to show the world the love of God in Christ, it's this. Sum it up pretty well. And Don did say, you know, people are going to ask you, why on earth are you doing that? Are you people crazy? Guess what? As soon as we're asked the question, we get to tell them. Because God loves those people. And the love of God is in us, and we're going to love them too. So my friends, um, what are we going to do? We're already doing it, but what are we going to do? Um, I hope we'll give next Sunday or pledge to give over the parameters that are ascribed to us. Um, pray about that, will you? Go to God with that one. See what we have you do. But more than that, um, we're going to love. We're going to love by giving, but we're also going to love by supporting and caring for a family. We're going to help them find a job. We're going to help them find housing. We're going to help them get food on the table. We're going to help with their psychosocial needs, counseling possibly, and we're going to help educationally get the kids. We're going to be there for them. We're going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are... <laughs> oh, there, there's a team member back there. <laughs> you know, we're going to get to be like God if we wish. And I pray that we will. So I challenge you this morning. Will you have the mind of the Lord? Will you own the heart of God? If we do, we will see the kingdom come. We will. We're doing this in lots of venues, but we're going to see the kingdom come here. Because we're not going to act like the world. We're going to act like people who have encountered the divine one in Christ. And we're going to be a distinct people. You get this idea. When Israel acted like this, they became a distinct people. We're going to do the same. We're going to shine like a, uh, we're going to shine like a city on a hill so the whole world can see our God. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we understand that you are calling us to something really different and challenging and maybe a little risky. But God, our, our call is first and foremost to be faithful to you in obedience to your word. And um, we're engaged. We're moving forward. We're doing what you, we believe you are calling us to do. And we would pray even now for that family which will come. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless them in their circumstance today, that you'll meet their needs. And as they transition to Canada, that you will bless them through us as we provide for them in a significant way. Um, Lord, in the end of the day, our hope is that they will see Christ in us, alive in us, that they will see the love of God flowing through us and that they will be deeply impacted and changed. 
But Lord, whether that happens or not, uh, we will be faithful and we will love because we have been called to love. Help us, our God, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Help us to live in obedience to the moral code described in Leviticus and to the command of Jesus and to the way of the kingdom of God. Do your work, our God, we pray, as we simply serve and live according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.